And they said, Rabbi, are you really going to be giving the shir on this Monday night, December 25th? And I said, in a moment of forgetting, I said, why? What are you talking about? So they mentioned the concept of Nittelnacht. Nittelnacht is a long-standing, it's hundreds of years uh, custom that exists uh, primarily in Hasidic communities, but also pretty much uh, in other places. It's spread quite wide. Is that on this particular night, uh, some people have the minog to not learn Torah uh, up until Chatzot, up until the middle of the night. Now that's a curious thing because we don't really stop Torah learning for everything. And uh, I made like a joke, a joking remark to one of uh, my colleagues at work who's a, uh, who's a studied Litvak. And I said, Rebbe, uh, you know, uh, what are you going to be doing? Are you playing chess tonight? Uh, he said, what are you talking about? I said, Nittal. And he said, Chas V'Shalom. He's like, no, not be Mavatal Torah. So that's like the, I guess, the Litvish approach. To, what are you talking about? We're not going to cancel a Torah learning. Although there are certain people that certainly find uh, ample reason to uh, desist from learning Torah, which is not a simple thing for a Jewish person. Uh, there's approaches that say, for example, that the reason is because historically this was a night that was rife with anti-Jewish violence and that it was best to stay inside and not go to the synagogue or not go to the study hall. Other people say, well, it's the time that there's so many, uh, there's so many spiritual forces that are against us out there, so you don't want to feed those spiritual forces, okay? There's another one that says that uh, we want to go ahead and we want to show um, this is a really interesting one, is that we want to show that uh, when it comes to Judaism, it's not the learning that is the ikar, the main thing. The main thing is our actions that we take based on our learning. Uh, and he, he speaks, or that connects, it's a statement of the Kedusha Sion of Bavav, and uh, the Bavav Rebbe, so he connected that to the fact that uh, Yeshu HaNotsri uh, was a student of Rav, uh, Rav Yeshua ben Parachia. And he was, uh, he studied under Talmudic, uh, under Talmudic masters and, uh, and look what happened, he went to Tarbus Ra. So that's one of the approaches also. Um, however, we are learning and I uh, looked into it a little bit and I did find that the Lubavitcher Rebbe sent, uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe sent a uh, permission to a particular rabbi, a, a certain Rabbi Weinberg, that would give Tanya Shiram on the radio. So he asked, should I cancel the radio shear on this particular night? He said, no. And he said, specifically talking about Sadiqim, talking about righteous individuals is something that is uh, not only permissible, but something that is desirable on an evening like this. So we're going to continue talking about Rabbi Nachman, and we're all here, and uh, it's what better way to go ahead and to, uh, and to warm up a cold winter night than to talk about Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Uh, and uh, we're going to do this tonight, but uh, I wanted to backtrack for a moment, and, to, uh, and I, was, I was thinking, uh, looking, over, uh, looking over this, a word about connecting to a tzaddik. What exactly are we doing here? And certainly last week, you know, we're reading about all these stories and difficult memoirs of a person, uh, you know, jumping back and forth and experiencing all kinds of spiritual danger and physical danger. Like, what, what exactly are we doing by talking about Rabbi Nachman? And how is it... Uh, so a word about connecting to a tzaddik. And I'm speaking for myself. For me, um, for me, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, uh, when we mention the name, it's almost like a, a, a meme. It's almost like, you know, people dancing on top of trucks. But when we talk about Rabbi Nachman of Breslov in a serious fashion, so for me, Rabbi Nachman is, for, the, for me, I would imagine speaking to a skeptic. Imagine speaking to somebody and say, what are you talking about, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, so much? Why do we care about this, uh, this Jew's trip to Eretz Yisrael? What exactly do we gain by doing this? So, and that may be so. For me, it's... Um, for me, I would admit that skepticism about a tzaddik like Rabbi Nachman is about a little bit like skepticism about God. Uh, that, uh, that we want to believe that there's something transcendent. We want to believe that there's something that rises above 
these lives that we have often rife with difficulty and challenge and struggle and, uh, and, and that we get sucked into uh, the ins and outs of this world. So belief in God is, is, means that we trust, that we try and we work hard in believing that there's something that transcends, that there's something that rises above this world and that we find opportunities to go ahead and connect to that. And to do that actually goes ahead and turns a life that could be uh, exceedingly mundane and you're here and you're gone. And it turns into something where while I'm here, I touch or I tap into something that, that transcends this world, that's, that's utterly removed from this world. For me, that's a little bit of the concept of a tzaddik. A tzaddik, a righteous individual in Judaism, there's extra sources over here. Uh, in, a tzaddik in Judaism, for me, is a person that's that lifeline. I spoke about on Shabbos a little bit in Shul. Is that lifeline to connect to that transcendent individual. And Rabbi Nachman Breslov is unique and special like that because I think almost sui generis throughout Jewish literature is that in the writings of Rabbi Nachman Breslov we find the phenomenology of a tzaddik, how a tzaddik perceives his role as a tzaddik, I think almost unmatched anywhere else, uh, how a tzaddik perceives and, and talks about their own struggles. And uh, it, it goes without saying, that a single glance at Rabbi Nachman's books, uh, Likutim Aran, for example, will find uh, almost every area of Torah is, is, uh, is, is not left untouched. He knew everything, and yet he still had these intense uh, internal battles and struggles and, and bouncing back and forth and, and the frankness and the, and, the, and the deliberate way in which that's communicated over to us is, is so unique and so special. For me, Rabbi Nachman, in talking about uh, struggles and doubts and... Uh, and the relationship with God that's painful and bounces to and fro, uh, that's in Ratzovashov, running and returning and running back again, uh, to, to have somebody of that magnitude, uh, nonetheless, uh, not the least, a uh, great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidus. So for me, that that's something uh, incredible. And, uh, and although this might sound strange to say, believing in a tzaddik, believing in Rabbi Nachman, believing the significance of talking about this, and saying over the Shevach, right? The name of the book that we're reading from is called Shivchei Aran. To me, that's a little bit like uh, helping me along to get to a place where I can really, truly work on my faith in God, which is, which is what tzaddikim are there to teach us, not a replacement. God forbid. They're not something that comes in the way. Every single Jewish person's heritage is an unmediated encounter with the divine without any sort of intermediary, but we certainly have teachers. We certainly have people that lead us along the way. And a person like Rabbi Nachman, for me at least, once I've discovered it, it's, uh, absolutely, it's absolutely something that, uh, you know, it's like a crutch along the way in one's uh, journey of faith. So that's why, uh, that's why you know, that's, that's, what, that's what Rabbi Nachman means for me. Uh, in a sense, his Torah is quite beautiful. The ideas that he speaks out are quite beautiful. That comes from studying him. But that's why I think it's worthwhile and valuable for us to be doing this. Um, so with that in mind, so the, previously on, uh, on the journey of Rabbi Nachman, feels like a television show, previously on Lost, um, it's previously in the, journey, in the journey of Rabbi Nachman, so what had happened was Rabbi Nachman had reached the decision to come what may, I am going to be in the land of Israel, I'm making my way from the land of Israel, we talked about how dangerous, how fraught that journey was, we mentioned how he made his way down uh, into the Black Sea, and finally found himself at Istanbul, I, I should have brought a map, but Istanbul, Constantinople, whatever you want to call it, so Istanbul exists, it's sort of a bridge between the Black Sea and the Bosphorus, and then basically into the Mediterranean Sea, that was the port of entry uh, one of the major uh, already from Byzantine times one of the largest cities in the whole world it was a bustling port city at that time and there were many it was a crossroads of the world to be, to be sure and that's Rabbi Nachman finds himself now and he has just told the person with him a chassid 
uh, we uh, we might speculate that this is the chassid that became uh, a follower of Rabbi Nachman on the day of his birthday at age 13, a certain Rabbi Shimon. So he has instructed him previously where we left off. He says, don't tell anybody who I am. I'm here not just incognito, but there's actually a mission to not letting anybody know what my identity is. And they've arrived at the port and, uh, and his chassid has this strange charge not to tell anybody, don't tell anybody who or what I am, because already Rabbi Nachman, who's 26 years old at the time, in 1798, already Rabbi Nachman's name had started to, uh, start to run a little bit amongst, uh, amongst the uh, Hasidic communities and circles in Europe and Ukraine at the time, and, uh, and people know who he is, and certainly he doesn't want anybody to know who he is, and we'll see why. Uh, that will be the focus or the goal for our learning today. Why would Rabbi Nachman do the crazy things that we're about to read about? And I say crazy because you've never seen a rabbi act well, maybe you've seen a rabbi acting like this. You've never seen Rabbi Nachman acting like this, a real, a real tzaddik acting like this, and it's, uh, and it's quite shocking. So let's jump right into it. We're at the paragraph on the top of page, Lamed Beis, Lave, heart of the matter. We're at the paragraph beginning, Viyatsu. Viyatsu misham le'ir hanal. They left there, they left this port to that city, so they had wanted to go into the interior of Istanbul. So there was this rabbi, we mentioned the Shadar, the Shalucha de Rabbanon, a rabbinic emissary from the Yeshivot of the land of Israel, who was on his way to Russia, who was on his way to Jewish communities of Europe to raise money from them for the, uh, for the impoverished Jewish communities of the land of Israel at the time. And... Uh, <clears throat> He had two people with him. So when they came to this place, So Rabbi Nachman wasn't recognized, but the man that was with him, this chassid that was with him, was immediately recognized. So they asked him, they said, What are you doing here in this far-flung land? What, what's going on here? Right? So he points to Rabbi Nachman, he says, I'm going with this young man, I'm going with this young man, imagine talking about his Rebbe like that, I'm traveling with this young man to the land of Israel. So they asked him, Who is this young man with you? So he said, Don't worry about him, he's got a ticket from the foreign ministry of Austria, he's good. But he didn't want to tell them who in fact this person was. Exactly as his Rebbe Exactly as Rabbi Nachman had commanded him to do. And the people, the two, uh, the two emissaries that had been traveling with this, with this uh, bigger rabbi from the land of Israel, so they started to wonder and uh, they started to think some pretty, some pretty bad thoughts. Maybe this fellow, this anonymous fellow is actually here for nefarious intent. Maybe he has some sort of uh, bad plan. Maybe that's why he doesn't want to reveal who he is. So immediately we see the tension of Rabbi Nachman, it's almost cinematic, right? We see the tension of Rabbi Nachman's plan almost immediately, right? Why not just tell who you are? And I want you guys to think about that. Immediately it starts to create massive amounts of tension because already people are starting to think, listen, he says, he says, Maybe this individual, Rabbi Nachman, is traveling to the land of Israel to engage in a machloket, to engage in a dispute with the great rabbi Butzina Kadisha Moreno Avram Kalisker. Avram Kalisker was an early Hasidic, uh, a Hasidic master, a student of Renachem Mendel Vitebsk, who led one of the first Hasidic aliyot to the land of Israel. Eventually, they ended up uh, starting the Hasidic community in Tiveria. 
But they thought that he was going ahead to fight against Avram Kalisker, Zichron Levrach. We'll see later on that uh, the truth of the matter, even though this is completely baseless speculation happening over here because they don't know this anonymous individual is Rabbi Nachman held the greatest re- uh, respect possible for this Avram Kalisker who we'll meet later on in the story. So he thought that that's what he's going for. V'hanil v'melav, so, so this anonymous person is going out to fight in the land of Israel. They had this mistake in their minds. They had great proofs as to why this anonymous Rabbi Nachman fellow was going to start a fight in the land of Israel. This Rabbi Nachman was on a journey in order to start fights and to rabble-rouse in the land of Israel. So they're very upset. So they turn to the anonymous fellow and they said, and they start to interrogate him. They say, okay, do you guys have some sort of a letter? Do you have some sort of documents indicating who you are, what your purpose is, what your mission is? Do you have anything like that? He said, no, we've got nothing. They asked him straight out. They asked the chassid with Rabbi Nachman. He said, what is his business? You're going to be Rabbi Nachman right now. They said, they pointed and said, what is his business? Why is he traveling to the land of Israel? Okay? So they didn't rely on me. I'm representing Rabbi Nachman's chassid, Rabbi Shimon. They didn't rely on me anymore because they knew that there was some sort of a game that was going on. And they said, you're lying to us also. You're not telling us the truth too. Tell us who you are. Even though we knew that I was a good person before and they recognized me from the Alter Haim, they know who, they, who I am. They don't know what my deal is with this individual over here, with this Rabbi Nachman fellow. They don't know and they don't trust him anymore. We don't know if you're such a good guy anymore. You're playing some sort of a trick, a, a game with us. And they asked again, They ask him, it's very... Um, it's very funny. They said, did you ask your Rebbe? So they asked, they asked me, did you ask your Rebbe, Rebbe Nachman, if you're allowed to travel? It's almost comical. Did you ask permission from your rabbi if you're allowed to be? And if some little do they know that the person that's with them is none other than Rebbe Nachman. Are you okay being Rebbe Nachman? I didn't even ask. You should be. Amir Tzashem. You should rise to that level. Yeah, I asked my Rebbe. I did. I asked him. Right? He probably got like a little bit of an elbow in the side. Of course I asked him. They didn't rely on what he said. They thought that this Rabbi Nachman, this anonymous fellow, is some sort of a big liar and a trickster. And he's going to fight against the people in the land of Israel. I wrote in my notes, I said, whoa, they really held the game here, uh, even under immediate, immediate severe pressure and embarrassment. And it's a real lesson, uh, and this connects to a lesson from Rabbi Nachman we'll talk about in a moment that Rabbi Nachman might be trying to do over here is a, a tremendous cloud, a tremendous uh, one of the major teachings of Rabbi Nachman Ikar HaTshuva right? this appears in Rabbi Nachman's masterwork Likute Maran Ikar HaTshuva the main concept the main aspect of Tshuva is Lishmoa for a person Lishmoa Selbono to listen to their own embarrassment or to listen to somebody saying bad things about them or to them Vilishtok and to be quiet and I want you to think, we don't have enough time, we have a cantorial concert after this, we could go for hours, mamish, but I want you to think for a moment, why might Rabbi Nachman tell us, the same Rabbi Nachman here who's basically listening to these people embarrass him and uh, almost 
you could sense the danger a little bit because they think already immediately he's there for the worst possible intent, right? So why would Rabbi Nachman be the one who gave us this teaching? The Ikra Tshuva, the main concept of Tshuva, how does a person repent? To hear people embarrassing us, to hear bad things, and to just be quiet, and not to return anything to them. Why might that be Tshuva? I'll tell you what I think while you're all thinking about it. I think that when we talk about when we talk about doing tshuva, oftentimes we want to go ahead and we want to blame something else. We want to go ahead and say, it's not true. It's not, I don't deserve you to talk to me like this. It's not really me. For a person to hear bad things and to not immediately defend, not immediately go to the defensive, especially when it's as absurd as something like this, especially when it's so undeserving like something like this, to go ahead and to just be quiet and to let things happen to me, so that actually, that actually refocuses the locus of my life, not on me, but on something external. That's the path to repentance. Path to repentance might involve going ahead and begging forgiveness of another person or a person that maybe we've embarrassed or that we've created an elbow for. So Rabbi Nachman is, it, is, it finds this to be an extremely important idea, but we also are going to see this isn't even the beginning of the Bisyonas. This isn't even the beginning of the, de- of the degradations and the depredations that Rabbi Nachman is about to endure, all for some hidden purpose. And the hidden purpose we'll hopefully talk about towards the end of this year. So, so Rabbi Nachman is willing to sustain this immediate false judgment and he must have understood that his plan, he simply said, don't tell anybody. When we get to the port, when we get to the town, don't tell anybody who I am. He must, not, he must have anticipated how quickly, because Rabbi Nachman knew what, the, what the, the political scene in the land of Israel, he understood what the deal was with this machlokas. He, he must have known that this is what was going to happen immediately. And it might have been a little scary as well. Mm. Let's continue with the next paragraph. So he says, So they just went directly to Rabbi Nachman. He said, who are you? And what family are you from? And what are you doing here? Rabbi Nachman didn't want to reveal it all. So they started to engage in some sort of wisdom conversations, more deep conversation to try and figure out anything about this person who is a sealed book to them. And Rabbi Nachman answered them each way with some sort of wry response, some sort of learned response. They couldn't understand what he was doing with them at all. He was, he was, he was putting them for, he was putting them through the ringer. The heads were spinning. He confused them. He tricked them and he twisted their minds. It got to the point that as they were trying to interrogate him, they couldn't understand anything. Not even half the thing could they understand about this mysterious individual. Each time he appeared to them as a different person. For example, they said, okay, just tell us this. Are you a Kohen? Are you a priest? He said, Hain, I am. Then they said, Are you a Yisrael? Are you, a, you know, like me, a regular? So he answers them, He said, Hain, I am. Yesterday he told us you're Kohen. Actual, Yisrael. Now you're telling us you're Yisrael. A Gabai's worst nightmare. Right? And he responded, Kohen, Zemidas Chesed. 
to be a Kohen, to be a priest, Kabbalistically is linked to the Sephira, to, it's linked to the, to the Kabbalistic custom, as, to, the, to the aspect of godliness that is corresponding to loving kindness. That's a Kohen. A priest atones for the nation. Aaron, a Kohen, brings peace between people. A priest is seen as Chesed, something that's able to uh, assume and to deal with imperfection. That's a Kohen, and to bring that also up to God. So he says, Kohen, Zemidas Chesed, that's the aspect of godliness of Chesed. And Yisrael is a Midacharis, and Yisrael represents a different godly attribute. He says, Baruch Hashem, Thanks God, I have both the Midah of a Kohen, and I have both the Midah of Yisrael. I've got both of them within me. I am all things, right? I'm like uh, Walt Whitman, I contain multitudes, right? I've got it all. So he says, We could see from the way that you're talking to us that you are for sure one of the people that are going to make this machlok in the land of Israel, and that's why you're not telling us. So it's, uh, you know, I was just ruminating as to what everything here, we said last week, right, part of our reading over here is we're assuming the significance of the text, right? We're assuming that nothing here is for naught, and that Rav Nassan, who want, wanted to go ahead and record this for posterity, so what's recorded here is actually, in fact, a teaching. I wonder if Rabbi Nachman, in this particular exchange over here, which is quite strange, and the only one that's really printed, I wonder if Rabbi Nachman is trying to indicate something about a Jew that's going to the land of Israel. Jew going to the land of Israel really doesn't go just as an individual they go as part of the Jewish people, return to an ancestral home. We return to the place where we are a people, as we talked about in the Shiurim, on the land of Israel. Maybe by Rabbi Nachman saying, I actually assume the guise, I actually assume the identity of every Jewish person, that really I'm going here, like we say before any mitzvah, b'shem kol Yisrael. I'm going here, I am representing every Jewish person, every type of Jew on my trip to the land of Israel. I'm not here as Rabbi Nachman. I'm dissociating from, from Rabbi Nachman, the individual, the great grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, and I'm actually trying to accomplish something much greater. I'm transcending my individual self. And I'm putting, I'm, I'm actually trying, and, and we see this, by the way, in all mystical traditions, trying to, to kill the ego trying to nullify the ego so that I may receive. And by going ahead and fully killing the ego, by reaching that nirvana, by reaching that place where, where the self, where the I no longer exists, then a person is able to receive. I, I, I didn't mention this in the shir yesterday, but we heard, uh, I heard when I was uh, talking about brachos, Yaakov gives brachos, blessings to his sons. So a bracha, we know from, uh, from the Isha Shunamis, I forgot it was Elisha, so when they go, when Elisha goes to bless the Isha Shunamis, so they say, let me bless your oil, the oil in your house. The oil can only be blessed if there's vessels to hold the oil. Right? That oil can only be best. We have to, in order for us to receive bracha, in order for us to receive blessings in our life, we have to ensure that we have the kli, that we have the vessel in order to receive that. We have to be willing and capable. Right? If Rabbi Nachman is going to the land of blessings and the land where there's chachman wisdom, avir deretz Yisrael machkima, if he's trying to accomplish this, this move in, in attaining a new, a new sense of self, so first he has to go ahead and to obliterate the old sense of self. And that's kind of what I think is going on over here because Rinachman is going to go to extraordinary lengths to, to bring himself to a place that we would call katnas, a place of immense lowliness and degradation and loneliness as well because he's not going to be able to reach out to anybody 
part of this, I think, is an attempt in this port city at the turn of the 18th century in a land far away from home to go ahead and undertake this dangerous mission, say, if I can't do this, then I'm not ready to go to the land of Israel. I'm not ready to receive the blessings of the land of Israel. First, the ego has to be obliterated. First, that's what we have to go ahead and do. I wonder if that's also what the rabbis were doing when they went ahead and kissed, when they were menashek the kipe da'ako, which we talked about the rabbis when they would come to the port of Akko, they would kiss the stones of the land of Israel. Wonder saying, I, you know, it's, it doesn't make sense, right? We kiss a Sefer Torah. We kiss things that are of holiness. And sure, the land is holy. But going down on your knees and kissing the ground, that actually, I think, is a sense of nullification. Nullifying myself to the land of Israel. I'm being mavato myself to the land of Israel so that I may be open to receive its blessings. Can't be that an egotistical or an arrogant individual can receive what Eretz Yisrael has to offer. And Rabbi Nachman certainly understands this key point as well. So let's continue. So that's maybe why he's saying, I have everything. I'm not just Rabbi Nachman, I'm a Kohen. I'm Yisrael, I'm everybody when I'm on this journey. They began to hate him in such a deep way. They start to embarrass him and to mock him in all kinds of mockeries. They start to curse him on end. They were upset at this, at this rabble rouser who was coming and is playing games with them. They start to curse him many days. In truth, much of the, the degradation and much of the imprecations on Rabbi Nachman came from just one of these two individuals. And Rabbi Nachman opened his mouth to tell them, Zostedu, right? You should know. Turning the page, uh, well, I'm turning the page at least. You should know, no matter what you say to me, and no matter what you do to me, and no matter how much you make fun of me, I'm not going to tell you why I have in my mind that I'm going to the land of Israel. Not going to reveal it. Rabbi Nachman has, I think, a slip of the tongue over here. Rabbi Nachman says, because from my heart to my mouth, I haven't revealed it. So it's like I remember a scene in, the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a famous movie where a person's being interrogated. I'm, it's a cliche, but it was one of the Matrix movies or whatever. Okay, I, I know like nobody wants to hear another rabbi ever say, I saw it in a Matrix movie. But in one of the Matrix movies, you see that they're interrogating one of the heroes and, uh, and the interrogation is going to a really intense place. So one of the other bad guys says to a third bad guy, he says, what is he doing? And he says, he doesn't know. Right? That, that, that a person could be so intensely into something and caught up in a particular mission that they almost forget exactly what it is that they're doing. The Rabbi Nachman is actually, I think, succeeding over here because he's basically getting to the point, this might be the lowest point for Rabbi Nachman in what he's trying to seek because he actually says, I'm not really sure. He says, I can't tell you why I'm going to land Lepumi. I know it's in the subconscious. I know it's in my heart. But I can't express it in words. Right? What I'm, the reason I'm here and the reason I'm undergoing this and the reason I'm traveling, it's actually ineffable. It's like the name of God. Right? I, I, I know I have a sense of what I'm doing, but I can't, I can't actually express it. Right? One might imagine Rabbi Nachman at this point, and this is, it's, it's okay to do this because Rabbi Nachman does tell us, again, his perspective, the phenomenology of a tzaddik, how a tzaddik perceives his own experience of the world, that Rabbi Nachman actually at this point might even be saying to himself, what exactly am I doing here? I'm a great grandson of Baal Shem Tov. I have a, I'm a, I'm a rabbinic prodigy. I'm a Hasidic prodigy. I have followers gathering around me. What exactly am I doing in this port city, being cursed out by people who don't know my name? Why am I involved in this game in the first place? That might be, this might be like the lowest point in the journey. Over, he says, I honestly can't answer because I don't know myself. Right? It's, um, 
And nevertheless, He says, look guys, I can't tell you what I'm here for, and I know you're cursing me out and making fun of me, but let's sit together. Let's, you know, let's join together. Let's, let's chill out for a second. The brothers should sit together. Even though we don't know what we're all about. I don't know you and you don't know me. Let's sit together. They respond to him to this peace offering. If you reveal to us what your intentions are, for sure you'll have, we'll give you everything good in the world. Right? We'll take care of you. He responded, I'm not doing this because I expect or I want any sort of good, uh, any sort of favor for you. I'm not revealing what I'm doing here at all. Even more so. If you guys, I don't want any favors from you, you guys should be wanting favors from me. Right? I know I'm this mysterious fellow, but, but really I'm here to do good for you. That's why I'm doing this. They respond to him. We could tell from what you're saying and from the words and the way that this is really the first time he's engaging them in conversation and not acting uh, so mysterious. We could tell that you must be some sort of a famous. Are you some sort of a famous person? Are you some sort of a special person? Because ordinary people don't talk the way that you're doing, right? Kamo Rabbi Baruch, so Rabbi Baruch of Mezhbush, so is uh, Rabbi Nachman's uncle. Rabbi Shalom refers to Shalom Mifrabrisht, who is the Nechad of the Magid, the Baal Shem Tov's Talmud. Rabbi Nachman. And he's saying like Rabbi Nachman. Allahu Rabbeinu, right? You're talking like Rabbi Nachman, right? Who, who could you be? Right? Because you're talking like these Mifrasam. And by the way, uh, let me finish the paragraph. I'll tell you something interesting. I hope all this is interesting. So he says, These great people that we just mentioned, that seems to us that you're talking like, so their way, their path, was to talk about great matters, big lofty things, in like some hidden, cryptic, mysterious, aphoristic language. By the way, as we mentioned last, last week, the only writings really of Rabbi Nachman that are extant before his trip to the land of Israel, after he told everybody anything I taught before I took my trip to Israel, just ignore, right? So the thing that lasts is Sefer Amidos, which is a, really a book of like one-liners and aphorisms, extraordinarily cryptic. But the truth is, is that if you believe in them and you study them, so they actually go ahead and, and like you see exactly what Rabbi Nachman is talking about, like, this is genius. There's actually a Talmud Chacham Reviner in the land of Israel that put out a sefer called Teferis Hamidos, where he takes each one of these one-liners and writes a number of pages on each one, explaining the source material behind every pithy aphorism that Rabbi Nachman extends in this book. So he says these tzaddikim they talk about great lofty matters in a hidden way. But you're for sure not one of them. Now they revert back to the original assessment through Vinachman's character. You're for sure one of these rabble rousers. You're coming for a fight. They say to him, you know, before you arrive in the land of Israel, if you decide to undertake this journey, we're going to send a letter ahead of you to let people know that when you come there, that no matter what, you're one of these rabble-rousers. Basically, they're saying, we like you. We got to tell you something, right? We got to warn you. Sorry, kid. We're going to let everybody know what you are. We know you could be a little bit charming. We're going to warn them what you are so that nobody gets uh, entangled or ensnared with you. Just a word for a moment, because I see we're moving along at a decent clip. Um, the word mefursum over here, 
would probably have come off as an insult to Rabbi Nachman of Breslau. The first means famous, right? One of these well-known tzaddikim. Rabbi Nachman talks elsewhere in his writings. He talks about before Samim Shal Sheker, uh, great rabbis or people that purport to be great spiritual leaders that are actually uh, uh, that are selling people a bag of lies. And also Rabbi Nachman talks about later on. Uh, I have it in here in Sichas Ran in his uh, short short uh, teachings that were recorded. Rabbi Nachman talks. I'm just going to read one line from it because it's striking because there Rabbi Nachman talks about a great Sahara. We won't read it inside. But Rabbi Nachman talks about he says that people don't understand the shtus of this world. Shtus is the word he uses and it's, and it's notable because Rabbi Nachman himself is engaging in komine shtusim. He's engaging all sorts of foolish behaviors and all sorts of silly behaviors that we'll see in a moment. He play fights with people in the marketplace. He walks into the base medrash while smoking a pipe and eating. He does all sorts of foolish things. Rabbi Nachman says people don't understand the shtus of this world. They don't understand that this is all a game. This is all, everything, if you're really able to peel it back besides the service of God, it's all a game. Rinachman says there is a special Sahara that exists in people, Leos Mefursamim. He says people have a special Sahara. they want to be famous, right? Everybody wants to be famous, right? What, what kind of Sahara is that? Rinachman says it causes people not to do things for themselves. If I'm doing everything, he's speaking specifically, I think, about Avodah Hashem and service of God as well. If I'm doing my Avodah Hashem because I could give a shear and everybody's going to come and listen and maybe you'll, people say, look, it was a good shear or some other rabbi gives a big drasha and I'm convening a Yarche Kala, all sorts of things, right? It's to be my first time. I want to be remembered. And this speaks to such an existential fear. Who will remember us after we're gone? How will I make a name for myself in the world? How will I feel like my work is valuable? It comes from such a human place. Rabbi Nachman says that's such a deep Yetzirah because the Yetzirah distracts us. The Yetzirah tricks us into focusing on peeling away the layers behind the game because instead of the game of everybody else, one rat race, we trade one rat race for another rat race. And we put a, you know, we put a keep on it and we say it's a Jewish rat race, right? It's a holy rat race. Because it's a rat race in Avodah Hashem. We want to be from first, we want people to know about us, we want to be famous. So Rabbi Nachman, that word before Samim HaGadolim must have struck Rabbi Nachman as, as a barb, right? Because Rabbi Nachman is trying to get away from this game. He's trying to move away because he already was becoming Mefursim in the land of Israel. He's becoming in, the, in, the la- in, in his own homelands, right? So he was becoming well known amongst the Hasidic, uh, the Hasidic masters. So Rabbi Nachman is trying to move away from that. So, right? You sound like you're talking like one of the Mefursim, but we know you're not that. It's a great way to sum up exactly what Rabbi Nachman is doing here. He is one of them for some, and of course they mention it, right? They said, you sound like you're talking about one of those famous people like Rabbi Nachman. Little, does, little do they know that they're talking to Rabbi Nachman himself. Rabbi Nachman is trying to dissociate from that appellation of being a famous person, of being a famous rabbi. That's what he's trying to dissociate with. Anyway, it's just a, a thought uh, that I want to toss out there. So they went to that fixer. They went to the person that was in charge of the dispatcher of the boats at the docks. Poland. He was from Poland. And he married a Sephardic woman and he was living there. So he had relatives that were in and out of the, house, uh, the households of the Pasha and uh, the Turkish strongholds of leadership. Very connected person. He was a very powerful individual, this Sarsur, uh, in that area. Right, so Sarsur, uh, the literal Hebrew translation for Sarsur is like, uh, I, I don't want to say a bad word, it's like, it means pimp, 
right? But uh, so it's like uh, somebody a fixer, a wheeler dealer, somebody that uh, I don't know. Uh, that's that's what that's what the word means, right? So that's the person doing the sarsour, the dispatcher over here. So it's just tricking people, right? So uh, so they go to them and they say, look. These two individuals came and they said, Please God, right? For God's sake, for goodness sake, don't let this individual travel to there. Hasam in the Gemara is always, right? right? They want to go to there. Hacha here, Hasam there. Don't let this individual, for goodness sake, don't let him travel to Israel. He's one of these, uh, he's part of the disputants in this, in this, uh, in this ideological battle. The Rotzlasus Gerusam, he wants to create a fissure or schism in the community. If you could even do something bad, anything you could do to hinder his journey, Go ahead and do that too, right? You should repay back double from heaven. And it's cinematic also because it's almost split screen. Rabbi Nachman and his friend, they don't know. They've been told, they've been warned the letter is going to go ahead and let people know who he is and why he's coming to the land of Israel. But little does he know that they've also gone to the authorities to warn them as well and that there's going to be some trouble at the docks if Rabbi Nachman is going to make an attempt to go to the land of Israel. So far, so good, my friends. Any questions? Awesome, right? I told you the story heats up a little. Klal Hadavar. What's the, right, so what's the... What's the basic uh, matter over here? What's the, what's the root of the matter over here? They mocked Rabbi Nachman, with all kinds of mockeries, and he suffered it all. He didn't want to tell them at all who he was. Right? He responded by tricking them and by engaging in all sorts of mind games with them. And they continued to make fun of him even more each time he responded. So it kept them feeding itself. One time he spoke to them. One time they thought he was specifically from one of these cities at the border of Italy. Then they saw he wasn't. And they continued to mock him. So then they thought he was one of the, the, the sons of the Kamarner. It's not the Kamarner Rebbe, Revichil Yitzchak Isaac. Uh, Yehuda, uh, Yehuda Levi Safran, great Hasidic Rebbe, a little bit later on. Uh, they thought that he was the son of a different Kamarner, and then they saw at the end of the day, okay, he's not the Kamarner. Right? So at the end of the paragraph, they said, uh, that he basically proved to them at the end that he wasn't the son of the Kamarner. I don't know how you prove that you're not somebody. Right? So the question that I still want you to be asking yourselves, why would Rabbi Nachman be going through all of this? What, what, what could possibly be the purpose? So then, if you continue to the next one, let's uh, skip a little bit. To the paragraph that begins Bechol. You guys see the paragraph that begins Bechol? The very top of Lamed Vav. So, just a little bit more trickery back and forth between them. Everything that happened with this particular episode, right? Even many scrolls would be too short to reveal or to tell you what happened. Rabbi Nachman would go, he would wake them up while they were sleeping sometimes. They were so angry at him. They continued to curse and to mock him a lot. 
They came from the mikvah and they saw Rabbi Nachman was lying there on the steps uh, without shoes on, without his gartel and without his hat. The Shalosim, he said, So Rabbi Nachman looks out to them, sprawled down the floor, he says, why is it that during the whole week Right during the whole week, why is it that my, my body feels very light? I could jump around and now I feel so heavy. I can't even get up from this place. They said because Arab Shabbos, they thought he was being serious with them. Every Shabbos, the soul ascends upon high, right? And it and it and it and receives a connection to God. And on Shabbos we get that extra special, extra neshama, the neshama yaseira. That's why we smell the besamim on Matzai Shabbos. That extra soul that allows us to experience the expanded life of Shabbos. Said it's Erev Shabbos. They insult him. It's Erev Shabbos. Your neshama, like every other person's neshama, went up to Shamayim to receive the extra neshama. You didn't get your own neshama, you definitely didn't get a neshama yaseira because you're such a wicked person, you're such a wicked trickster. Imagine saying something like this to a tzaddik. Imagine finding out that this is what you said to Rabbi Nachman afterwards. So they insult him. So he says, he, he, he says, He says, I was asking you a riddle and you don't even know how to answer a simple riddle. And he continues and he says, BK shows some Shikablo Sol Shabbos and says, Can I at least come for you for a Shabbos meal? Lorotz, they didn't want to accept him. But Shabbos Kiblu Saish Shayaimo, they accepted his chassid, they accepted me. Etzlam al Shabbos Vos Lorotz Lukabla, they said, Rabbi Nachman, you stay out. Huchrach Lechel Machel Lichalav, so he had to eat dairy that Shabbos. Kirotz Lechel Shumbasar, they didn't want to give him anything. Rakheim, Hayalahameza Shochet, because they were the ones that had the ritual slaughter. The Gamba Shabbos Elam, Machlokis Gadom Odimo, they argued with him tremendously on Shabbos. Rotzla Dafko, they want to push him out forcefully, physically. He entered into their home even though he wasn't invited. They started fighting with him. Again, they physically want to push him away. This continues. You can see it's heating up. It's starting to, Rabbi Nachman is, is moving closer to some sort of a climax of this situation. We don't know what's going to happen because he's really pushing their buttons. What's the, vein, what's the main point here? Rabbi Nachman was doing this on purpose. This was actually a teaching. Right, Rabbi Nachman was not trying to uh, was not trying to just do something reckless, but he had a definite plan with the bizonus, with the mockery and the suffering that he was enduring throughout this process. Right? He was really debasing himself for a reason. Rabbi Nachman allowed himself to become mocked in all sorts of ways. He told the man who was with him, He says, "What I'm undergoing now, what you see me." Uh, enduring right now is actually for a purpose because it's going to actually allow my journey to Israel to take place. It's going to allow my return to take place. So I, I don't even think, more on this in a moment, I don't even think that Rabbi Nachman, you don't even have to think about this in some sort of a mystical way that somehow, you know, uh, that, that somehow by taking these mockeries, he's auguring a certain degree of spiritual, uh, you know, reward for later on. I think it's actually something it could really be explained much more simply. For a person to undergo the danger of the journey to the land of Israel and the danger of what's going to happen. We mentioned the Napoleonic Wars are happening in the distance. Napoleon's navy is making its way to the eastern Mediterranean, is going to soon conquer the coast of Israel and is going to take a number of the cities and there's fighting the whole world. To undergo the danger of this journey, 
to undergo the, 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 po- the infinite possibilities of nothing going right on this journey and having this massive mission totally go awry that Rabbi Nachman is risking everything for, the only way to really ensure that that works is to be able to say, I'm nobody, I'm a nothing, it's not about me. Right? And the way to practice this, Rabbi Nachman is practicing with these individuals. He's practicing bizionos. He's practicing the ability to say, I'm nothing, I'm a nobody, and even if anything in his journey goes badly, he's going to be able to withstand and accept that because he's already practiced in the beginning in Istanbul. And by the way, we'll see in a moment, Istanbul is the place that most tzaddik in the Rabbi Nachman was connected to, that their journey stopped. They weren't able to make it past this stage of the journey. We're going to see soon the Rabbi Nachman bows down and prostrates himself at the kever of Rav Naftali Katz, the Balsmichas Chachamim, who himself died on a journey from Poland all the way to going to the land of Israel in 1718. He died in Constantinople, and he didn't make it as well. And we know that Rabbi Nachman's great-grandfather, none other than the Balshemtov, made it to Istanbul and had to turn back. He couldn't make it past Istanbul. Rabbi Nachman trying to break on through to the other side exactly at this moment and he sees this as the deliberate acceptance upon himself of the most ridiculous uh, degradation that he could possibly endure. So this is Bekavana and that's where Rabbi Nassim keeps on saying over, don't think that he's lost the script. Don't think he's lost his mind, right? Because we're playing over here with the frayed edge of sanity, right? We're playing over here with the frayed edge of madness. Is he, does he still know what he's doing? Is he still with it? Is he still with the program? Does he still get why he's here? And one can imagine this Rib Shimon that's with him starting to have a little bit of his own doubts as to does Rabbi Nachman know what he's doing anymore because this is crazy. He continues and he says, We talked about the Minios, the things that stood and the obstacles that stood in Rabbi Nachman's way. We can't explain. Rabbi Nachman believed that it was impossible to go to the land of Israel to make it there at this time to complete this fraught journey if not by going and putting himself in a place of smallness. Not by making himself quite small in order to go there. Rabbi Nachman said this explicitly later on in different years. If Rabbi Nachman would not undergo these degradations, would not undergo this mockery, he would never have made it to the land of Israel at all. He said, I saw and I intuited that I was really going to be trapped in Istanbul, like my great-grandfather, like the other people have tried this journey before me. I saw I wasn't going to make it. That's going to be where I was going to die. But the tshuva, perhaps, like we talked about in Likut Maran Torah Vav, the tshuva that he does over here is able to save him. Before he comes to the land of Israel and the rest is left off. Think that what he's trying to say over here in Europe, in Europe, so I'm a big fish in a very big pond. I'm yet another Hasidic master in a land that is blooming and blossoming with Hasidic masters in Torah. Land of Israel, an exotic locale in those days with a small uh, but determined Jewish community that has persisted throughout the years. So there Rabbi Nachman has to recognize the only way he's going to survive there is he's going to have to be a small fish in a very small pond. Right? The land of Israel is a small, intimate place. He's going to meet some of the greatest tzaddikim that are there. Rabbi Nachman recognizes that if he does not, if he does not... Um, if, he's, if he does not besettle himself, does not 
throw off all the garments of the, of the rabbinate and his greatness and his leadership, there won't be any room for him spiritually in the land of Israel. He has to go to the land of Israel in order to be ready to accept. It's very much like the Gemara that we talked about that said the Rabbi Zeira when he wanted to go to the land of Israel, so he fasted. He fasted a hundred, right? He fasted a hundred fasts in order. He wanted to forget the learning that he had in Babylonia. So he fasted and mortified himself. Hi, Grace. He fasted and mortified himself a hundred fasts in order to forget everything. That's basically Rabbi Nachman is undergoing now. And instead of desisting from food, he's desisting from honor. He's desisting from any identity as a rabbi and a rabbinic leader as well. So he says, without this, I would never have made it to the land of Israel. Maybe this will be the last one that we do today, and then I want to read one short thing, the separate page that you guys have. It looks like we're going to have to continue this, if, uh, if that's okay with people. Right? It's a long, it's not, I, I would imagine, I would imagine we're at uh, 10 now. It goes up to 20. So I'd imagine we're, we're halfway there, and we're on our way. Okay? So, after that, Rabbi Nachman said to the man that was with him to give to these individuals to give him from their pharmaceutical products to give him from the medicines they have from their food and from their drinks give them gifts so what do you do when people go ahead and mock you and make you feel like dirt to make you that small so you give them gifts you send them with your own stuff so Rabbi Nachman gave over to them <clears throat> So then, so ah, the Hayiman litain lahem yakol. Vinasu elu anashlam beisam. So these people traveled away. They went back to their homes. Vloratz lekabli garis mi rabenu. And there was a letter that Rinachman wanted to give to them, and they didn't want to take it. It was a dead letter. Rak me aisha hayim okiblu garis. But they accepted a letter from the person that was with them. Rabenu zechron levrachi niach garis lo betochi garis la ishanal. So Rabinachman put his own letter, folded it inside the letter of his friend of this chas uh, that was with them. Vela anashmai rotz levtoch say garis la ishanal. They opened up the. I wanted to open the letter. Of the of the person who was written, maybe it would shed some light on this bizarre episode that they just went through. Mihu me ainhu, right? What is this individual and what's his purpose? Of but they lost the letter. During their travels back home, they lost the letter. So the letter didn't get to them until they reached the fur, the uh, a further port of. Um, of a city, So this was a city that was on the coast, the northwest coast of Istanbul. So when they reached that coast and to the offices there, they found the letter. And they saw from the letter, This individual that they had been interacting with those months before was actually Rabbi Nachman. So this is a quote from Tehillim, Tehillim uh, Memchas. So it says, "Hey Maro, they saw Tamahu, they were astounded, and became very afraid of everything." And the, the continuation, by the by the way, of the, the of Tehillim over there, the continuation. Right? In a great wind, God destroyed the great seafaring ships of Tarshish, which is also maybe foreshadowing what's going to happen with Rabbi Nachman as he begins the next stage of his journey, getting onto the ship and enduring the storms in the Mediterranean Sea on the way to, to Eretz Yisrael. So, they saw, they became very afraid, and they, be, they were astounded, they were very scared. And this individual 
that were that had engaged in the most serious that that didn't just mock Rabbi Nachman, but really took pleasure and a pride in it, like Paro. You know, Paro was allowed to do things to Jewish people, but he went above and beyond the call of uh, of, of duty for evil. So this person, of course, Rabbi Nachman had done a lot to embarrass uh, that that was worthy of embarrassment. But this guy went above and beyond that call. And he, he died shortly after uh, he had finished the end of his return journey back to Europe at home. So it must have, I'm assuming it must have been some years later, but, uh, but he, he, uh, he received some sort of recompense. So they received a letter and they realized that this individual, all these bizionists, all these things they said, that was actually Rabbi Nachman. I want to conclude by turning your attention to, um, to the sheet that I gave you. Because I told you that I think that there is a teaching here. I told you that I think that there is, um, that Rabbi Nachman's whole journey is, uh, serves a, a didactic purpose. It, it serves, it's, it's a teaching. It's a, it's a teaching. All the journey, everything Rabbi Nachman do, doing over here is a teaching. So I want to walk you through what I think all of it, and we'll see as we continue how the teaching can be summed up. So this comes from Sichas Ran, which I have over here appended to this uh, pocket edition of Shiv Ran, the praises of Rabbi Nachman. Sichas Ran are smaller Torahs, smaller teachings for Rabbi Nachman. Yud Aleph, Ashreinu, praiseworthy are we, Shashem Yisbarach heiti v'manum od shezachinu l'kedushas Yisrael, that God has done a great thing with us, that we have been born and privileged to be, uh, to be uh, bequeathed and to, to receive the holiness of being part of the nation of Israel. I translate that terribly. Ashreinu, praiseworthy are we, Shashem Yisbarach, that God Almighty heiti v'manum has done goodness and kindness with us, me'od, shezachinu l'kedushas Yisrael, that we have merited to have Kedusha, the sanctity of Israel, of Jewish people. Rabbi Nachman said, and this is some years later, I had such a great joy that I merited to be in the land of Israel, to set foot in the land of Israel. This, this teaching is directly connected to the story. Right? He says there were so many obstacles, there were so many pre- things that, confusions, so many thoughts, so many things that stood in our way, and, 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 uh, and arguments that happened that made the travel to land of Israel very difficult. Difficulties with finances. And yet Rabbi Nachman managed, and spoiler alert, he does make it to the land of Israel, as we'll soon see the joy when Rabbi Nachman sets foot to offer that boat into the land of Israel on Rosh Hashanah 577, well, Rosh Hashanah in, uh, in 1798. I forgot which Hebrew year it is. And he managed to finish the Avodah and make it. All the Avodah that starts the service of God that includes these Bizionos, strange plans that he has, he manages to make it. Amar, Rabbi Nachman says, This is what I believe. And I know a lot. Trust me, I've had some experience with this. Every movement, every thought, every service that we engage in, anything that we do, any movement, any thought, any plan, any idea that we do in the service of God, any intention that we have, None of that is ever lost. None of that goes and can be for naught. Ein shum machshava, not even a single thought that we have in the service of God, not, a, not even a single thing that we do, even if it's never in down, even if it's never communicated to another person, God doesn't forget. 
All of that, it's never lost. And when we go ahead and we're able to break through all those walls and make it to the other side and to complete that which we set out to do, then all of these thoughts, all these confusions, all these movements, all the things that prevented us from doing it, all the obstacles in our path, when a person was standing in the balance, should I continue? Should I continue this work like Rabbi Nachman? Should I continue with these bizionos, with these mockery that I'm enduring? Is it really worth it? Is this avod, is this plan that I have to make to Israel, is this something that's really worth everything that I'm doing over here? Sri so Nachman says, when you jump over, when you break on through to the other side, and you break all this, all the obstacles in your path, then from all these obstacles, from all the things that stood in your way that we mentioned, each of them are transformed and turned. All the mockery is the greatest praise in the whole world. Right? All the things that people said about us when we were trying to serve God and we looked ridiculous, we felt ridiculous, we felt like we didn't belong there, we felt like our service of God was not desired by God, everything gets elevated, turns into the greatest praise, the greatest prayer, the greatest light, the greatest shining force of God in our lives as we make it through to the other side. Everything is recorded above. Every movement I had in my attempts, and even if this means, even if we don't make it to the other side, even if we aren't able, even if Rabbi Nachman turned back, he still accomplished something by trying. Still accomplished something. And this isn't just Rabbi Nachman, way of Eretz Yisrael. This is all of us in every single thing that we do in the service of God. And when we try and be good people, to be sure as well, when we follow mitzvahs. Praiseworthy is the person who could jump over all the obstacles. And that he can merit, she can merit at the end of the day to do one good deed to do one good thing. So I wish all of us that as we continue in our service of God and certainly in the learning of Rabbi Nachman's journey and hope to continue as well with the short hiatus for, uh, for next Monday, uh, but, uh, but to continue as well and to go through this and to continue to watch as Rabbi Nachman jumps over his minias, completes his journey and accomplishes unbelievable things in the land of Israel where everything really, if you can imagine, as things start to really rock it off, we get a picture of the land of Israel in uh, the turn of the 18th century, what the spiritual life was there and Rabbi Nachman emotions, the ups and downs he experienced there. And then the dangerous return journey. It's not just enough to go, but it's important if you have a return journey to make sure that you make that you complete the circuit and bring back what you've gotten. So I wish all of us in our service of God to be able to jump over all the minios, to jump over all the obstacles, to never have to endure any mockery in order to get there and to find that shining light on the other side. Thank you all so much for coming and I hope everybody has a wonderful night and enjoys the uh, 